2: Everyone and welcome to another episode of Candare, a tribute to comics and pop culture. I am Jeremy Collie and I'm Jack Doherty, and we've got a good show lined up for you today. Where we're going to be talking all things Playboy, but when we say that, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking we're going to be talking nudes. We're going to be talking. <laughs> How can you do that on a radio show? <laughs> Not the same fact, right? <laughs> But uh, no, actually, we're not going to be talking just uh, about nudies. We're going to be talking about uh, just Playboy in general and its impact on society and pop culture. Because, uh, I mean, what kind of a pop culture show would we be if we didn't address Playboy, right? Come on. (laughs) One of the biggest icons ever. So in our retro roundtable, we're going to be talking about Playboy. And then later in the episode, we're going to be joined by former model and author Patty Farmer to talk about her book, Playboy Laughs, the comedy, comedians, and cartoons of Playboy coming out August 3rd, which really uh, shines a light on, like, the Playboy clubs and resorts and, like, the cartoons. uh, The stuff people really don't know about Playboy, like, uh, before the magazines, you know? comes out today. Oh, yeah, it comes out today. We're recording this before August (laughs) 3rd. Yeah, so it's out there now, people. And uh, I'm sure you can go to our website. We're going to have a link up. You can follow to go make your purchase, or you can head over to patty-farmer.com after you... uh, Hear our conversation with her But before we do that Don't forget to be checking us out On cannedairpodcast.com uh, We're on Twitter at cannedairpod And on Instagram at Cand underscore air And YouTube We have a YouTube page with That's ever growing uh, with content We've got a Let's Play uh, video on there Three The Simpsons is on there now Is it? Mm-hmm
0: I haven't even seen it yet, is it really? Not yet, it will be by then, though. Oh, damn it. it's, it's I broke the illusion again. It's, it's almost done. <laughs> I broke the illusion, sorry.
2: <laughs> oh, I can't wait for that. But uh, what else is on there? We've got uh, con coverage, there's a Star Wars video, a Star Wars and the Power of Costume. Awesome video, awesome. Yeah, yeah, it is, I'm, I'm enjoying it. I went back and watched it after making it. <laughs> when you're making it, you can't enjoy it. You have to no, go back and look yeah. at it as a finished piece, like, oh, that is kind of cool. But it's about an hour-long walkthrough of the uh, Star Wars Empowered Costume Exhibit at the Cincy Museum Center. So get on there, check it out. Uh, Like, comment, subscribe, please. And for those of you who are going to uh, the Wizard World Convention this weekend in uh, Columbus, Ohio, August 4th, 5th, and 6th, if you have not bought your ticket yet, when you go to wizardworld.com in the promo box there, put canned air, all lowercase, no space between canned and air, you're going to receive a cool 10% off your ticket purchase. But it, it's uh, good not only Port Columbus, uh, the following show in Chicago, August 24th, 25th, 26th, and 27th. Uh, and then after that, in Nashville, September 8th, 9th, and 10th, if you are attending this con, use promo code CANDAIR, lowercase, no space, and you'll get that 10%.
0: That 10% you save can get you something at the con.
2: Yeah. <laughs> something small, maybe, but oh, yeah. <laughs> every little bit helps, right? <laughs> All right, well, with that behind us, let's just kick it off with this week's Retro Roundtable.
3: Yeah. Do it. Do it!
1: Come on! I'm here! Come on! Do it now! Oh, my God! I <laughs> killed oh, Jimmy! <laughs> Faster! I'm Grass! Taste bad. All
0: right,
2: Jack. Where do we begin with Playboy? I only read it for the articles. <laughs> I knew that was coming somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's definitely that book that, uh, I mean, we we can't dance around the obvious. We have to at least address why we started reading Playboy yeah. back when we were young, impressionable boys. To get our first glimpse. Before the internet. Right. <laughs> our first glimpse. Have a a naked woman. Mm -hmm. I I hate sitting here saying this on air. It's kind of embarrassing, but. These guys are pigs. I mean, yeah. We're not trying to talk in a demeaning way or anything. We're just, uh, yeah. But um, I just remember, like, the first time you, like, have one in your hand, like, how, like, bad you felt. Like, oh, oh yeah. God, I get so much
0: trouble just for holding this. (laughs) And here I am holding it. My friends found one laying outside in the woods when we were kids. I don't know why it was oh, out there. Oh, man, but, uh,
2: that is one you do not want to pick up. <laughs> but when you, again, when you're young yeah. and there's no internet, got to make do. So we tore out the pages and each we
0: divvied them all up and had our own special <laughs> hiding places. <that laughs> any friends that come over, look what I got.
2: Oh, man, I had friends like that. <laughs> I never had a, a stash of Playboys that I showed off to my friends when I was younger, but I knew friends that had them. I know? had
0: a yeah a friend that had the, the nasty other two. The oh, dirty, yeah, the uh, dirty other
2: two. But well, that's a that's a good thing to bring up in the uh, point in, you know, of uh, you know talking about what makes Playboy more than just a nudie mag. You know, like Penthouse and the Hustler; those are mm-hmm. kind of gross books. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, I don't, I can't say I've ever actually sat down and like flipped one open, but I know they're they're a bit more risque. They, they're not pulling any punches. I mean, they're just oh, yeah, uh, they're Playboy, showing it all.
0: You felt bad. The other ones felt dirty when you looked at
2: them. I think Playboy showed their women in a much more dignified light. Yes, though you know, other than just sitting there doing these explicit sexual mm-hmm. positions or whatever, but uh, tasteful, more tasteful. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So well, um,
0: more of the art route instead of the shock value. Right,
2: right. And you you joke earlier about the articles, and there really were some. Uh, good articles in there you know you 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 couldn't help but look at them and funny ones too i I mean wasn't there like a like a dear playboy kind of thing like where people would write in and tell uh the risque stories yeah happenings and it's been so long Uh, i can't remember but um one thing i do remember was uh i don't know if they were doing it from the very beginning but there was a uh, panel in each magazine where they would get a celebrity and uh they did like a 20 question Mm-hmm. Panel. And that was always so interesting because it was it, it was a more candid like interview feel rather than uh, I guess say <laughs> the kind of interviews we do. Like, yeah. What was know, it like <laughs> to do this? Or I don't know, not to bash myself there, but the yeah. cartoons were always the best part. Some of the best parts. For me. Yeah, there were. Yes, yeah, those were fun. And we uh, when we talked with Patty a little bit later, uh, we addressed that. But the the cartoons. It was different than just picking up your normal newspaper and seeing, you know, the comics in there. They they had much more work put into them, mm-hmm. I guess. Like they're very Norman Rockwell-looking things, very uh, very much works of art. And they're mostly one-panel cartoons, either. Yeah, I don't, there was one with like, and I don't remember what it was called, but it was like this little kind of mutton Jeff looking guy with a, like a big bulbous nose and a mustache, Bert something, or I don't I remember, remember, but uh, <laughs> those were funny. Those were typically like little three, three panel strips mm. or something. But other than that, yeah, it was like the uh, single family circus style, you know, yeah, one yep. little comic there. <laughs> <laughs> that Or the far side, kind of.
0: Right. And just one-liner that yeah, makes exactly. it crack up.
2: Now, what about, uh, you know, we talked again later with Patty about the uh, the image that Playboy had, the how would you word it the gentleman playboy image mm-hmm. in itself that Playboy helped coin. Uh, one thing we should uh, mention is how that's been influential on our pop culture and uh, society. And uh, one thing we were talking about earlier would, would be kind of like... Uh, and I, we, I could be wrong about this, but like the Ocean's Eleven kind of crew, or like those crooner kind of crews, mm-hmm. would that image, well, it probably exist, but would it be as prominent or as uh, impactful as it is without Playboy behind it?
0: I don't think so. it would be more almost like a gangster look, I mean, with a bunch of guys in suits, like the Rat Pack. They're just a, right. you know what I mean? Not like, uh, I don't know, like mob-type gangsters, a bunch of guys getting together, hooting and hollering. These guys right. are just... Mostly going out Having fun
2: Right More of a Like a uh, Like a James Bond Archetype You know what I mean And I think uh, One thing we didn't Talk about with Patty But I think she says That there's even In one of the Bond movies He opens his wallet And next to his License to kill Is a Playboy Club uh, club card card. (laughs) Yeah Yeah I thought that was Pretty cool One thing that just Sprang to mind about Playboys, if you Remember Uh Every cover had a kind of like Where's Waldo hidden tiny little bunny head that you had to find I forgot about that Yeah, Yeah, I had too But uh, I think what I'm going to do for this episode is hide a little bunny head in our cover art So (laughs) that'll be something for our listeners to go find If you're listening on iTunes, you probably are just seeing our default cover art But if you either go to Twitter or on our website, you can uh, see the I make custom cover arts for each episode So you'll be able to see the Playboy cover art and find that little bunny Let us know where it is what else you got, Jack?
0: One thing I found out was since Playboy was like the first of its kind to do that kind of thing, uh-huh. even with like the articles and the pictures, that it paved the way for the Cosmo magazine. That really? kind of started after it. Yep. And that's then when, well, after Cosmo started, that's when the nudie of uh, Burt Reynolds centerfold showed up. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh, the one Jake has on his wall right now. Yeah, you know. (laughs)
0: Trying to model himself after it every day.
2: (laughs) One thing I'm uh, curious about... uh, Okay, you mentioned uh, Burt Reynolds being nude, and that makes me wonder. You know, Playboy uh, nowadays, the magazine, has... uh, Discontinued doing any nudies at all Mm -hmm. and is uh, more of what I've heard is more of like a Maxim. That's what I take it, yeah. Which I would be totally down for Mm -hmm. because Maxim was a, or is, is it around still? I believe it is. FHM was just pretty much the same thing, but that one, that one's not around anymore, I'm pretty sure. No, that one is gone. Those were great, great magazines. Thank you for pulling that (laughs) picture. There's Burt Reynolds. (laughs) I hated to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Um. Yesterday, before uh, when I was doing research for this show, I thought I'm gonna try to go out and pick up one of these new Playboys to see what you know what it, what it's become. But I couldn't find one anywhere. You know, it's funny because with the internet now, I think the internet has not only hurt Playboy and other magazine companies, mm-hmm. but um, it's hard to even find a magazine rack like in a gas station or any, anything anymore. Yeah, they used to always be back behind. With all the cigarettes and stuff, but not so much anymore No, you know, I can think of like a handful of gas stations Even like within the past year, it feels, that i visited That have uh, all gotten rid of their magazine racks Even like
0: pharmacies, Walgreens, CVS They have like all the gun magazines and all the other magazines But there was, because they always had them in the plastic bags way up high I didn't even think it to try a drugstore. Yeah, I, I just thought of it just now. I don't think. Damn it. But, yeah, I, I still I don't even think they're, they have them in there because I can't even think of seeing <laughs> that I've seen
2: one. We're lately. a family store that does not promote Playboy. Yeah. Here's a gun magazine. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Guns and <laughs> ammo. <That's> ridiculous. <laughs> well, we're in Ohio. I always wanted to uh, go to the Playboy Mansion. Yes And I hope I don't sound skeezy In saying that Because I mean I'm not It's not like Oh I want to go And just see naked women Running around Because I don't think It was even really that
0: I don't think it was Ever anything It was The bunnies were just Women that were dressed in
2: Yeah the same kind of bunnies Small clothes with ears and tails Right The same kind of bunnies That were uh, in the clubs And
0: whatnot Yeah It wasn't like a big sex party It was
2: No uh, Yeah A place to hang out Just a classy place To like play some cards Or Mm -hmm. just hang out Watch a movie Um but I've, I've seen some pictures of the inside of this place, and it's incredible. In that underground pool, how is it again? There's a pool above ground outside that has like a mirrored wall in the bottom of it, and there's another pool underground that when you're swimming, you can see into the underwater of the above ground pool. Something like that, Something yeah. to that effect. I so don't it's know. like a waterfall,
0: I want to say, that you go into, and that was the tunnel, and then you would go. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's how it worked.
2: The grotto. I'll have to look that up. That sounds cool. I don't know, but um, I was looking up uh, pictures online, and I saw this wasn't at the Playboy Mansion, but it must have been one of the, uh, the big clubs somewhere. Uh, it looks like at the top of like a skyscraper. like They have a top floor, and it looks like there's a infinity pool that goes right to the edge. I mm-hmm. mean, you're swimming, looking out over the city. If it's the same one, I want to say it's
0: got a glass floor, too, so you're like six feet over nothing.
2: Oh, the, boy, I don't I'm, know
0: about all that. I saw a video of a guy who was just... He was walking with the camera pointing straight down. And I thought it was fake at first, but no, it's a real deal. I don't...
2: Ugh. No, I don't think so. I would be the person that got in there. A butterfly would land <laughs> on it, and it would shatter, and I'd fall <laughs> to my death. Certainly. But, um, yeah, the Playboy Mansion, I believe, doesn't uh, really do that kind of stuff anymore. Well, Hef is, I believe, 91 years old now, mm. and has actually sold the Playboy Mansion. It's sold about within the past... Five to six years I think For about For a hundred million dollars And under the stipulation That Hef could live The rest of his life Out in that house And I could be wrong About this Or maybe I just Misread it But I thought I read online That it was bought out By like the Hostess brand and that uh, they already own, like, the adjacent property, and that once they acquire the mansion, they're going to return it to its original state. Turn and it into a big fa- big a, cupcake uh, factory. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Join the uh, properties together. <laughs> I just think it would be a—no uh, matter who owns it, I think it would be a good idea to turn it into a museum.
0: Yeah, it would. Ha- you'd have to do that, something like that, with it being— such a big, big, big part of history. For so long, too. Yeah.
2: I mean, yeah, there are the clubs and resorts and all that stuff are gone now. We have the magazines still. But um, just a museum dedicated to, uh, you know, the early days of Playboy. I think that would be amazing. They would all have the, have the one, wing,
0: one wing of the museum would have a curtain where only adults could go into. And it would be full of the centerfolds throughout all the years. Oh, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) The the porn
2: part of the video story. (laughs) What else you got? Anything else? It's been a long time since we looked at Playboy, so it's hard to sit here and talk in length about it. But we don't need to because we got to, again, speak with Patty Farmer and talking with her about her book, Playboy Laughs, the comedy comedians and comics of Playboy was just beyond educational. Yeah, it was was Um, awesome. It really was. It gives you a, uh, a new respect for Playboy. There's that, mm-hmm. that misconception out there that all Playboy stands for is smut and naked girls, and that's just not the case. So, I always knew it wasn't the case, but then
0: after talking to her and reading some of the book, finding out even more... What happened behind the scenes and stuff,
2: and how influential it was yeah. to
0: um, like uh,
2: stand-up comedy. That's and a uh,
0: huge thing. I had yeah. no
2: idea. And even in her uh, past book, Playboy Swings, one we didn't speak of, she talks about how uh, Playboy helped introduce like jazz music to clubs and stuff. And uh, I'll have to read that one too because that sounds pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's probably better explained from Patty herself. So let's just cut right over to our interview with Patty Farmer. All right. And now joining us on the show today, Patty Farmer, who is here to talk about her book, Playboy Laughs, the comedy comedians and cartoons of Playboy. Thanks so much for being with us today, Patty.
3: Oh, thank you for inviting me. There's nothing better to do than talk about Playboy and chat with your listeners. I got to say,
2: you know, I uh, this has been very enlightening researching, reading your book and uh, doing further research. There's so much to Playboy that I was not aware of. Yes.
3: Right. And and you all are in the business to know, and I'm a, <laughs> I'm a historian and that's how I really got pulled into writing about Playboy is A lot of the other greats uh, for other books kept saying, you know, well, I got my start at Playboy or sitting down with Joan Rivers, she would say, you know, I was at Playboy as part of a trio. And and I'd be like, what, a trio, Joan Rivers? And she said, no, Playboy gave me a stage. And, you know, I figured out, you know, how to do stand-up. So I totally agree with you. There's a lot there that, that we didn't know about.
2: I think we need to educate our listeners today. Seriously, then, right? yeah. Well, let's start with uh, first the just the comedy aspect. And in your book, Playboy laughs, you say that uh, Playboy was very important part in ushering in stand up comedy. Correct.
3: Right. I I really think they served as almost the bridge between the the nightclubs, which were closing down and and going out of style, and then the later comedy clubs, you know, the comedy club and the improv. So this was the bridge, and it was unique in the way that uh, nobody else – there was never another nightclub uh, that had so many different clubs in different cities, you know, at the height of their – Uh, success they had like 42 clubs around the world and the comics could go from club to club to club and you know perfect their act until they were good enough to move up to the next level or there were many comedians that just worked at playboy for many many years and we never heard about them but they were still an intricate part of the stand-up history
2: Now, you had mentioned just a little bit ago you had uh, spoke with Joan Rivers, and I had uh, read that you had said one of the things she said was Playboy was a place to be bad. Also reading, you see that Hef wanted these clubs to be family-friendly as well, correct? Mm Mm-hmm. Right. Absolutely. By being bad, she wasn't necessarily like saying curse words or talking filthy material, but more so like stretching her wings or learning the craft, rather.
3: You're absolutely right Jeremy she meant that she could practice in front of a live audience and and she wasn't you know terrific in the very beginning and there are some stories in my book that other people commented on um, really how she started out and learned her timing, and it's it's pretty funny. You know, everybody starts somewhere, and you have to learn, and that was a good place to be bad. You know, you could be, your timing could be off, your punchlines could be off, and you worked at it. You got instant feedback from the audience, and at a, a Playboy Club they worked you. You, you did, right. you know, two, three, four, sometimes five shows a, a night, depending on the size of the club and the crowd of that day. So you got to really work at, at your jokes and your punchline, et cetera.
2: It's just uh, really amazing to hear, you know, read all the comedians that you say got their start uh, through the Playboy Clubs. And again, going back to that misconception, I think a lot of people who didn't, you know, weren't aware of the Playboy Clubs are probably thinking, well, maybe there's a nude aspect in there. Maybe it's like a strip club Mm -hmm. or something, but not the case at all. It was a uh, very high class kind of establishment, right?
3: Right, absolutely. Uh, Hef wanted uh, guys to be able to come in for their three martini lunches and do their business deals. And then they wanted them to be able to come back at night and bring their girlfriends and their wives. So, uh, there were a lot of comedians that, again, played during their early years, like George Carlin, you know, when he was still very collegiate looking and with a tie and a sweater. And... uh, He and Hef became good friends, you know, but at some point when he moved up to the seven words you couldn't say on TV, you know, Hef said, I love you, you're a good friend, I'll come watch your shows, but they're going to be at other clubs, you just can't uh, perform that, you know, perform your show in front of my audience anymore. And the same with Lenny Bruce and uh, Richard Pryor and Red Fox, and they all you know, at one time performed at Playboy. And the funny thing is, even after Heff said, you know, congratulations, you're moving on up, uh, they still came back to the Playboy Club to have dinner and to watch the other comedians because it was the cool, hip place to be.
2: Right. And one thing I read in your book was a, was a quote from uh, Jerry Pollack, who uh, talks about being promoted to captain and some, uh, other people asking him, you know, how do you get this job? And him saying... The trick is not in getting the job, it's in keeping the job, which would kind of uh, insinuate to a strict environment. But at the same time, the employees had a blast working there, from uh, what I understand. And those aren't two things you typically see next to each other, a strict environment w- while having a great time.
3: Absolutely. And uh, Jerry Pollack, he worked. Uh, he was a maitre d' and he worked his way up uh, to that position and he loved working there, and they were very strict. You know, Hess and Crewe had rules and regulations for absolutely every aspect of of running the clubs and, you know, running the magazine and running the TV shows also, but especially the clubs. You know, the bunnies had an actual book of conduct that they had to follow, you know, how to bend, how to serve, you know, how long you could uh, take talking to a customer. And when I first did the research and saw that, I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, how how regimented. It must have been terrible.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure.
3: You know, don't you think? But talking to the bunnies, they said it was great. You know, they knew exactly what to do. They they didn't have to wonder if they were uh, putting a wrong step forward. And they also had uh, protections built in to keep them from uncomfortable positions and the comedians also they had a list of you know what they could do and what they couldn't do and how they had to appear they had to wear suits you know the guys had to wear suits the girls had to look nice and you know have makeup on and look professional so they you know had a very very strict standards set set of standards and the there was a room manager that actually graded them and said whether they were funny or not. You know, they, if they were slipping, you know, they might have to take a few weeks off and not be able to go on the circuit to, you know, the next club in Cincinnati or Des Moines or wherever. So it was half strove for a high-class club in everything that he did, the food, the entertainment, uh, the decorum. So uh, it it was mandated.
0: Man, I would love to have gone to one of those. And I always thought most comedians started like at the improv, standing in front of the big brick wall, but instead it was the Playboy Clubs. Isn't that crazy? Yeah,
2: would never thought. It
3: it, it really is. And names like uh, that you would have thought were the improv days, you know, like uh, Billy Crystal and uh, Steve Martin and Jimmy Walker, David Brenner, they were all at the Playboy Club before. The comedy clubs were big, and and Jimmy Walker told me he said um, he said they were. We were talking about how strict they were, and he said you know it was great. You got a paycheck, where some of the other clubs you got a part of the door, or you passed the hat for tips, and you were lucky if the hat came back. But uh, he said the drawback was you had to get up there and wear a suit and tie, and at that time you know the David Lettermans and uh, you know. All these folks, they weren't so hot on on wearing jackets and ties. It it was a a trade-off.
2: Another thing I uh, was unaware of when starting this research was the fact that there were also Playboy resorts. And I would imagine that have probably uh, held those in the exact same manner in class.
3: Definitely. He wanted them to be an escape from the cities. Uh, One was outside Chicago and outside New York. And he dreamed that people would want to get away from the city for a weekend and drive up to Great Gorge or Lake Geneva and take part of these great resort grounds. There were lakes. You could go fishing. You could go horseback riding. Uh, Lake Geneva had its own runway. If you were so inclined, you could take a plane and land on their runway, although Mm. mainly that was Heff and his big bunny that that used the runway. But... um, (laughs) You know, they didn't really catch on that much. I think that was the one thing that Hef didn't really count on not working. He put a ton of money in there and just kept pouring money in. He got big entertainment, you know, people that would not perform for the standard Playboy fees, you know, guys like Shecky Green and Ann-Margaret and uh, big, big names, and they commanded big salaries, you know, the the Shecky Greens and Don Rickles and uh, Milton Burrells, all these big names would come out, and uh, it still didn't draw the crowd. So it was a financial drain, actually.
2: And I'd also uh, read that he bought all these properties rather than leased them, which probably worked against uh, the success as well.
3: Definitely, and it went against the trend of the time. Even the big hotel chains, they were just leasing property and leasing buildings. But half liked to have control of everything, and he thought that meant owning it. So that was uh, one of his only poor business decisions.
2: Right. <laughs> a little bit of a learning curve on that one. Sure. Yeah.
3: An expensive one. <laughs> yeah.
2: Out of all the good decisions you make, you're allowed to have a feeling yeah. there, right? <laughs> D- I guess. Don't hit, I guess. Now, Patty, in ma- in writing this book in the book that came before it, Playboy Swings, uh, you've talked to so many people and done some crazy amounts of research. Um, I'm just kind of curious, and the people you spoke with, I mean, like David Brenner, Tony Bennett, Jerry Van Dyke, Joan Rivers, and the list goes on. Do you have any stories or, uh, uh, you know, moments that stand out with any of these people?
3: Oh, my gosh. You know, it was hundreds, literally hundreds and hundreds of people that I sat down and talked to. And, I, you know, they were all amazing. But I think a lot of the ladies were uh, the most interesting to me because we didn't have a lot of them. You know, of course, Phyllis had gone by the time I wrote the book, but I did a lot of research on Phyllis Diller. Uh, So I found her career amazing and her interaction with Playboy. And of course, Joan Rivers, Lily Tomlin, Kay Ballard, Toadie Fields, you know, all these uh, groundbreaking women comics, stand-up comedians. I thought they were, you know, just different, different and very unusual and you know, just that the big names not only got their start there, but they kept coming back. You know, not only the comedians, but people like you mentioned, like Tony Bennett. He played there at the height of his career. Nat King Cole appeared on the TV shows at the height of his career. Uh, you know, all the great... Uh, comedians, the sick comedians like Mort Saul and uh, uh, Lenny Bruce, you know, they were all there. Uh, but there was a mystique and a, a gravitating pull about Playboy that made people come back and even work the clubs for the $400 a week they were getting, wow. which is what Tony Bennett did. I mean, they, a lot of them over and over and over again. It was really uh, eye-opening and amazing to me.
2: I can't imagine all the greats mm, yeah. that you've spoke with and, uh, yeah, the stories they put together. So when you when you say that the women really stand out and they're just unique and different, I mean, was their perspective on Playboy, I mean, though positive, somehow varying from uh, what the gentlemen were saying?
3: No, it, it pretty much mirrored it, but I think they had a harder time because it was a, a road not traveled. You know, they didn't have any blueprints. I think, you know, Phyllis was, Phyllis Diller was probably the first... Uh, woman stand-up with uh, the audience and the, the showmanship that people followed. You know, Joan Rivers followed her and uh, all these other people just, uh, they were winging it where, you know, there have always been comedians, stand-up comedians more or less, uh, you know, and the guys had their own network, you know, they'd hang out together, whether it was New York or L.A. and, uh you know the Rodney Dangerfields and Jackie Gales. They'd they'd have lunch and they'd have breakfast and they'd hang out together. But the girls, you know, they didn't they didn't have that network because nobody had really come before them.
2: Uh, you had mentioned Nat King Cole earlier being on the Playboy Television show, and um, I'd heard you say that what a big deal that was, and that it drove the networks and the sponsors. Crazy, and how Heff doesn't really get credited for uh, really working against racial barriers.
3: Absolutely. uh, He's been given credit by a lot of our uh, black performers for helping them break the color barriers. Uh, Dick Gregory, Nat King Cole. uh, You mentioned Nat King Cole being on his TV show, and you have to remember it was 1959, and we look back on it and we say, what was the big deal? Well, the big deal was Nat King Cole was on a national TV show. He came out. He talked to Hugh Hefner. He did not perform, and he went and sat on a couch with a white woman who had come out with a book, Rona Jaffe, and they talked about literature, and the next day, you know, the world— world of, at playboy exploded with the sponsors threatening to pull advertising networks threatening to pull uh, pull the show because you just we were working in segregated america it was mm-hmm. 1954 mm-hmm. civil rights didn't come into effect until 64 and you know, that's mind-blowing to me. I mean, with the comedians, Dick Gregory, the same thing. Uh, he got hired at the Playboy Club, and his first job there was in front of an all-white audience. And not only that, it was an all-white audience of meat packers or meat something, meat manufacturers from Alabama. Mm. So um, oh, <laughs> he had his work cut out for <laughs> <Tough> him. crowd, <laughs> yeah. You know, it was it was precedent-setting because they would not let him off the stage. In the very beginning when he walked out, they were shocked, and they even commented. They said, you know, we're here from Alabama, you know, almost like, you know, why are you here and when's the white guy coming out? You know, and Dick just went with it. He made a joke out of it. And uh, if you know Dick Gregory's humor, he's funnier than heck and a little you know he can throw it back with the best of them uh, and at one point after about 2 hours Victor Lounce went over to the mansion where Hef was hanging out and said you know you have to get in the car and go over to the club because you have to see this and he was still on stage when they came back and uh, i'm sure you guys are well aware that you know give a comedian an audience and he'll never leave the stage mm-hmm. and these guys just you know, they wanted to hear more. They were they were rolling in the aisles. So, But Dick Gregory got his star on the Walk of Fame a few years ago, and one of the first things he said was, I credit Hugh Hefner for helping to break the color barrier and giving me the chance to be here today. And even I've told that story many times, and I still get chills thinking about, You know, somebody helping to break the color barrier, that it was so unusual for a black man to be in front of a white audience. But Mm -hmm. Hef did it over and over again on his TV shows with the Jazz Festival, for sure. He integrated the audience and the stage, and it just hadn't been done before. And I know I'm getting long-winded, but I think Hef did it. Just, He was just colorblind. And you've heard that expression, but it's, it's true. He was one of the colorblind people. He never said, well, you know, we'll make this big statement and it'll be great publicity. No, he was always shocked when there was blowback. Because, like Dick Gregory told me, Hef only really cared if you could sing, dance, or, you know, blow a tune. Uh, and he hired the best person. He never looked at whether you were a man or a woman or black or white. And uh, it it was very, very humbling to, to meet Hef and realize how much he contributed to helping break the color barriers.
2: It was all about the show.
3: Yeah. Exactly. Exactly.
2: And it's crazy to think that it really wasn't all that long ago. Oh, yeah, really. That's how, uh, that's how the world was, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, people like him uh, doing what he did, getting us to where we are today. We've come so far.
3: We have. We have. And we live in crazy times right now. It seems like, uh, you know, are we going backwards, forward, sideways? I don't know. So that's the truth. it's refreshing <laughs> uh, when you see somebody like you, Hafner that just believed in the First Amendment, he's a very simple man, half is a certifiable genius, but he has his beliefs, he knows what he believes in, and it doesn't waver. He believes in the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and, you know, pretty girls, and that's pretty much it, you know, and a good show.
2: Now, another thing I want to touch on are the cartoons. Growing up, uh, I mean, I'm going to sit here and say we both have looked at Playboys, right? Yeah. yep. <laughs> Part of becoming a oh, man, I you think. you surprised
3: me.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, um, you know, one common thing or a common joke around the Playboy magazine is, oh, I read for the articles. Yeah, but, always. You know, when I was looking at those, I, I did look through the articles mm-hmm. and I did look at the cartoons. Many of them. So very funny and uh, very memorable. At that, I mean, the artwork was uh, some of it was just just that, like really good art. And uh, in reading your book, I come to find out that like Leroy Neiman and like Shel Silverstein were doing uh, cartoons for Playboy.
3: Absolutely, and you know today Leroy's work hangs in museums around the world, but. Back in the late 50s and 60s, as long as he could, he drew cartoons for Playboy and hung out at the offices and looked at pretty girls and was one of the cartoonists. And and a lot of the other greats, you know, like Jack Cole from Plastic Man and... oh, gosh, Arnie Roth and Al Jaffe, you know, all the Mad Men magazine crew, all the Mad Magazine crew, but they right. were Mad Men, too. Um, yeah. you, know, <laughs> you know, that was Heff's genius. He got the very best people uh, for the magazine, it, whether it was cartoonists or whatever. And then I'm, I'm sure you guys know he was just a micromanager. So um, it was a very funny process, you know. You'd have some great guy, like whether it was an illustrator or a cartoonist, you know, take Vargas, you know, Roberta Vargas and the Vargas girls. He'd uh, get an assignment, and he'd draw the girl. He'd put it in an envelope from L.A., send it to Chicago. Heff would look at it, and he'd draw his little editing notes, and he was very particular, you know, her eyes should be a millimeter closer, her, you know, breast should be tilted up and not down. And then he'd put it back in an envelope and send it to Vargas out in L.A., and it would go on and on every single month to get this magazine out. Very funny. And Al Roth, again, a great cartoonist, one of the greats, uh, he told some funny, funny stories in Playboy Laughs about the whole process it was it was a lot of work, but it sounds like those boys had a lot of fun, too.
2: The attention to detail is just what astounded me more than anything yeah okay to pick the artist to do cartoons for my magazine but to then oversee it down to the last detail in your book here you have uh, one of the letters that uh, hugh wrote and uh just at the very end where he says it should have a very norman rockwell feel when i read that it like something in me stirred because i remember cartoons with that look and even yeah. thinking yeah. that it's it just seeing it come full circle was incredible Now, and you also said that uh, before the days of Playboy, Hef had actually aspired in being a comic artist.
3: Right. You know, and how the world would have been different. You know, Hef grew up wanting to make his living as a cartoonist, where a lot of people in those days, that's how they made their living. And uh, he drew, he submitted to magazines and unsuccessfully for the most part and at one point 1951 he came out somebody produced a full 74 page comic book of his work um, and it, it went nowhere he was good but just not good enough to compete with the other guys of those days and that's when he turned his his focus towards putting out a beautiful men's magazine and building a playboy empire. You know, how nice that he had that choice. Gee, I can't be a cartoonist. I guess I'll, I guess I'll create an empire. Oh, so, right.
2: <laughs> exactly. Uh, now, it's funny because I uh, got online and I, uh, the book that was published of his uh, early works, was it That Toddlin' Town, I believe?
3: Right. I mean, it's like some ridiculously long title, That Toddling Town, uh, Rowdy Burlesque of Chicago, Manners and Morals, Morays.
2: Right. One, I think I'm going to have to find myself a copy of this just to have on the shelf in the studio <laughs> here. But um, two, when looking at the artwork in it, a lot of it was comparable to what I had seen in Playboy magazine. So did he not, you know, not only outsource some of these great artists, but was he putting his own work in the book at the same time?
3: Very observant of you, Jeremy. Absolutely, he was. He did some of his own cartoons for the magazine, definitely.
2: That's incredible. That's very cool. Now, I I just have to ask, because you just mentioned, and I've seen pictures, that you have got to meet Hugh Hefner. What can you say about him? What's What's it like to meet him in person? What's he like?
3: You know, it's amazing, because... I know the history you know I'm a historian and a, a a researcher so I know I know that he's a genius that uh, you know he not only created this great magazine but he did all these innovative business practices before anyone else. Before President Trump ever slapped his name on a building, you know, there was Playboy branding. You know, so half-branded, he franchised, he perfected cross-marketing. And I knew all of these things. And then to sit down with him and talk to him, whether it's about jazz or stand-up, and to be invited to his home, to kick back with a bunch of friends and watch a movie, you know, I just felt so honored to sit there and uh, be with he- Hugh Hefner. He-, he was a pioneer in so many ways. You know, and uh, when I talk around the country and around the world, the first thing I say is, what do you think of when you hear the word playboy? And, of course, people shout out, you know, bunnies and centerfolds. But there is so much more. And uh, he-, he, was- he changed our culture.
2: There really is so much more. And uh, there's more in this book for me to read. I can't wait. August 3rd, it's coming out, everybody. Uh, uh, Playboy Laughs, the comedy, comedians, and cartoons of Playboy. And I'm sure it's going to be available on your website, patty-farmer.com. Is there anywhere else that uh, people can get this book?
3: Absolutely. Barnes & Noble, Amazon, uh, anywhere books are sold. And if you walk into a bookstore and it's not there, ask them why. (laughs)
2: A very good question indeed Now this book is the second Which is in a trilogy A Playboy book trilogy And the next one is going to be Playboy Thinks What are you going to be encompassing in that book?
3: The actual writing you know, once again, Hefner's genius comes through. He hired the very best uh, authors like Ian Fleming. Uh, he wrote seven short stories for Playboy before they were picked up by the movies and made into On Her Majesty's Secret Service, Diamonds Are Forever, etc. People like Alex Haley before he wrote Roots. You know, he had writers of that caliber. Uh, the interviews, the editors, the uh, the actual uh, writers and thinkers.
2: That'll be cool. You'll have to let us know when that's uh, going to happen. We'll get you back on the show and talk about that one as well. Um, Absolutely. Just one more question for you, Patty. Mm-hmm. What, uh, what is it about Playboy that makes you want to do all this research and write these books? Why Playboy?
3: I, it's the Decades of entertainment, and for some reason, no one else has done it. There are books going back decades about the the mansion, Hugh Hefner's lifestyle, uh, the clubs are uh, not the clubs, uh, but. But all these books about, you know, the girls next door and this and that, Uh, even books about the golf tournaments, but nothing about the great entertainers and uh, great entertainment that the Empire, uh, the Playboy organization uh, helped launch and helped keep alive, keep the comedy alive. You know, Bill awesome. Marks wrote the foreword for my book, and uh, he said his father would have loved to have played there. If he, he was around his father and his uncles, the Marx brothers would definitely have been there.
2: Oh, man, I I wish we could have gone. Yeah, Yeah. how cool it would have been. Well, Patty, once again, I want to thank you so much for taking time to talk with us.
3: Gentlemen, thank you so much for helping me get the word out. And I'm sorry if I talk too much, but there's so much to say about and I love it.
2: We can listen to you all day.
3: Oh, you guys are the best. Thank you.
2: All right, everyone. And there you have it, our interview with author Patty Farmer and about her book, Playboy Laughs, the comedy comedians and cartoons of Playboy. I wanna thank Patty's publicist for sending us an advanced copy of the book to check out and read. It was really cool and I can't wait to read further. But uh, if you want to grab a copy for yourself, you can go to patty-farmer.com. I'm sure she's gonna have it for sale on there, and we're gonna have a link on our website, CandarPodcast.com, where you'll be able to follow and purchase the book. I'm sure it'll be like on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Amazon, I think I saw pre-order options for so and um probably even in your local bookstore. So Lots of different places to uh, check out Patty. Again, go to patty-farmer.com to find out more about Playboy Laughs and uh, Patty's other books. And you can find Patty on Twitter at, Patty at the Plaza. We've learned so much doing this episode. It's crazy. I had no idea about three-quarters of all this stuff. Uh, yeah. So uh, this has just been a treat. I want to thank Patty again. But I think that's going to do it. For this week. So, Jack, what do we have on the website? Go to CandarePodcast.com where you can check out our special guests, listen to the
0: show, follow us on all our social media, visit the Hall of Heroes, see the Wall of Justice, check out our YouTube page, click on that merch button and buy some shirts and cups and pillows and iPhone cases now. And if you have any comment, complaint, or want to give us a pat on the back, send us an email on our contacts page.
2: And again, don't forget to find us on Twitter at CandairPod and on Instagram at Cand underscore Air. And on our YouTube page, uh, lots of videos to watch on there. Again, to our our listeners going to the Wizard World conventions, uh, we have Columbus, August 4th, 5th, and 6th. Chicago, August 24th through the 27th. And Nashville, September 8th through the 10th. If you're going to be buying tickets, go to wizardworld.com. And at checkout, in the promo box, type Candare. No... No caps, no spaces, just Canned Air, and you're going to get that cool Canned Air bump, 10% off. And head to society6.com forward slash Canned pod, or just go to our website and click the merch button mm-hmm. to get some tasty Canned Air merch. We got mugs, we got t-shirts, we got phone cases, we got shower curtains. <laughs> we got everything your little heart could desire, so head over that way and show your love. Is that it? That's it for this show. All right. so until next time I'm Jeremy Collie and I'm Jack Nord. Thanks for listening everyone. The house is on fire! I need to get help! Do it from outside! Blowtorch! Whenever there's a fire in your house, be sure to get outside immediately. And once outside, get on CandarePodcast.com. Well, thanks for the tip, Blowtorch, but just one question: What about the fire? And no one is half the battle.
3: GI Joe!